Hello again, and welcome to another edition of the New Dominion Podcast. I'm Sean Kenny with the Republican Standard, sitting opposite is my colleague in crime, Mr. Marty Davis with the Fredericksburg Advance. Marty, how has your week been? Week has been awesome, man. We've had a lot of fun this week. It's been a busy week. Uh, school's in full swing. Started teaching at UMW on Monday night. Outstanding. Just just had a great class, got a great bunch of uh, young adults uh, eager to learn. Uh, at least they were eager to learn journalism until I put the syllabus in front of them and told them how much writing they were going to do. And I think some are <laughs> having second thoughts now, but uh, I'm looking forward to a great class. We're going to have a lot of fun. Listening to everybody whine about the, you know, how much they have to pay in books and things of that nature. It's like, okay, well, well welcome, welcome to the university guys. It's like, and you get to do it again next semester too. Yes. So yeah, but I, I, I always forget how much I like academia until I come back after being absent over the summer. I'm like, this is nice. It's like, it gets my like goodwill hunting kind of vibe working. It's like, yeah, this is our dead poet society or whatever the case may be. It's like, I miss this place. Just knowledge for its own sake, right? That's I haven't taught at a university since I taught at the University of South Carolina back in the late nineties. And so oh, wow. walking walking into Farmer Hall and finding room one thirty eight and then walking in and having twenty people turning and looking at me and falling silent. <laughs> Unlimited power. It was, oh, it's like oh the power I now hold in my hands. This is amazing. And you'd and be like, surprised how many people in Fredericksburg have never walked the campus at Mary Washington. It is a beautiful It campus. really is. It it's, really it's, is. It is a hidden gem that people need to take advantage of. And, and it's a very open campus, right? I mean, you can just park and start yeah. strolling. Just walk the length. And it's a it's a, a hidden gem that we probably don't do enough to talk up. But we, Well, know. maybe we should all be looking for some guests at uh, UMW. Well, there you go. So, yeah, maybe so. So, would you like to introduce our guest this evening, sir? I would love to introduce our guest. Um, uh, tonight, we're going to have a little bit of a different format, right? We've actually got two opposing candidates from Stafford County. Um, we've got Mr. Tom Cohen, and then we've got uh, Deputy uh, Deontay. I'm going to get this wrong all night long. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. No. Deontay <laughs> Diggs. Uh, we just start calling him the dude. Deputy Diggs. Deputy dude. dude. Yeah, there, no, we there we go. Deontay Diggs, right? Yeah, right. Thank and you. Yes. I, had the, um, I had the pleasure of uh, being one of uh, a number of people who got to ask questions at a uh, – was it a Meet the Candidates Forum? Yeah. Yeah, Meet the Candidates Forum uh, last week, I believe. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was such a marvelous discussion. Uh, and it was so well uh, – my, my hat's off to the people who put it together. Was it the Stafford Democratic Committee who put it together? They did a fantastic job. Um, it was a very civil discussion. A lot of difficult questions got asked. They were handled all very well, very professionally. Uh, the crowd was good. They were supportive in appropriate places, and you didn't get the cat calls and this, that. It's not that I heard. Um, it was just a very well done debate. And I immediately, once the, um, once the session was ended, I went to, I went to Deontay and said, we got to get you guys on. I went to Tom and said, we got to get you guys on. And they were like instantly ready to go. So, um, so gentlemen, we are really thrilled to have you here. And I want to kick this whole thing off, uh, with asking you, um, we don't talk a lot about Stafford County here. We did have a guest last week from mm-hmm. Stafford County, but Stafford County, we don't, we haven't delved a ton into the politics of it. And I know covering it when I was at the Freelance Star was always a bit of a challenge because Stafford is such a different kind of place. Um, you know, Fredericksburg is small and compact and the politics, it's, it's not all that hard to get into and understand the politics. And Spots is just a freaking disaster, right? It's a house on fire. Um, it's not that bad. Come yeah. on. It's just, yeah. just in parts. It is. So, anyway, uh, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um I, li- I live in Spotsylvania. I, I'm allowed to say it. I'm from Spotsylvania. Yeah, it's not yeah, that bad. Yeah. It's been worse. It's been arguably worse. Okay. I'll give you that one. I'll there, give you that okay. one. But Stafford is such a different kind of place. And I will, you know, I will tell you, when I first started writing about Stafford, one of the things I wrestled with was trying to wrap my head around what Stafford is. How do you define it? And it's such a – it's broken up into these all these different places, and yet somehow it works. Stafford is beautiful. It's industrious. There's so much going on there. There's so much energy there. I'd love to just start off hearing from the two of you about – you know, what, what about Stafford that you guys love that motivates you to pursue the seats on the Board of Supervisors that you're, uh, that you're pursuing? Yeah, Deontay, we'll kick it off with you, man. Okay, so we're staring at each um, other. <laughs> so. Uh, Didn't see that question coming, did you? No, but I, I love it. Um, I started working in Stafford in 2008 when I got hired on at the sheriff's office. 
And um, it was my first experience in law enforcement. And when I got to Stafford, um, just the connections with the, the sheriff's office in and of itself and learning the community was really kind of my focus, right? I'm not from here. I wasn't born and raised here. So I had to learn the geography, the roads and all of that type of stuff. And over the years, I began to, in my law enforcement career, focus on the youth in the community. And I fell in love with some of the communities that looked like what I had grew up in. And so, um, you know, now 15 years later, still in law enforcement in the community, I, I know the community intimately. Um, a lot of times I'm dealing with people on their worst days and some of these situations that I respond to. And so I've built a level of trust and respect throughout the community. And so when you talk about politics, um, it was never really a focus for me. Um, one thing that I did notice uh, over the years is that from the outside perspective, it really didn't matter in Stafford, right? Whether you were voting for Trump or you were voting for Biden, um, people still got together and they hung out. It wasn't what you saw on the national stage. And so that inspired me. And so when it comes to politics and my, my jump into this pool, um, I wanted to see some things change. And um, I, I wanted to see, you know, more engagement with the youth, more entertainment. I wanted to see the schools treated better um, in terms of building and managing the student population. And I wanted to make sure that our first responders um, were being treated fairly and supported. Um, and so that's kind of my, my overall of Stafford, but I, I've now since built a home in Stafford. Um, I often tell people I've, that's where I live. That's where I work. That's where I want to play and uh, have a good time and spend my money. And so I'm all in for Stafford. Sure. Tom, you, how long have you been George Washington district supervisor at this rate? I've been Five years. Uh, this is, I got appointed, uh, when Bob Thomas got elected to the delegate seat and I won the special election that November. Uh, and then I ran the next year for my own term. So this is basically five and a half years now that I've been doing it. Um, I moved down here from originally Massachusetts, then Florida. Then I came up here. Uh, this is my 27th year teaching in Stafford County public schools. Uh, so I am teaching children whose parents now work at the school I work at. Um, and <laughs> That's they, awesome. Yes. As, well, if I ever get to the grandchildren, I know it's time to leave. Um, <laughs> the, um, and I, when I was 19, 18 and 19, I wanted to do community service. I just, it's in my DNA. Um, and so I ran for office for that. And I basically have been on committees or boards uh, my whole life. And I just feel that that's my calling is to help others people. So when I got on the school system, I got on their long range planning committee, then the CIP committee. Um, then I got on the agricultural committee that came up with a PDR program to save farmland in our county and keep our area rural in a voluntary manner rather than being harsh to landowners. And then Bob Thomas got on the board and asked me to be on the planning commission. And then when he moved upwards, I got, I moved upwards as well. So, um, and Stafford is, you know, as you said, it's sort of a hodgepodge. We have our, our district is, is a good picture of that. We have our nice rural area, uh, with a lot of farmers, a lot of elderly. Then you get into subdivisions and then you move over on, uh, getting close to 95, you have condos and then you get across 95, you have seniors, uh, and then, England run, which is condos and apartments. So we, we cut the, the swath of what Stafford really has become over the, the 30, 40, 50 years since we've been moving along on this way. Sure. So, so let me ask this. So both of you got here as fast as you could, right? Neither one of you are, I mean, you're, you're, are, wait a minute, Deontay, are you a Virginia native when you said Eastern so Shore, Virginia or Eastern Shore, Maryland? Eastern Shore, Maryland. We okay. Moved up and down that you know, from Maryland to Virginia side. So 
but born on the eastern shore of America. Sure. But both of you took, I mean, some somewhat circuitous tracks, I mean, from Massachusetts to Florida. And then, you know, Deontay, you, you came here, you know, obviously from Maryland and then into Virginia and then the Virginia Military Institute. Talk to me about that experience because we talked before the show about your education and how you came up and how that kind of forged not just your character, but your leadership style. Talk to me a little bit about that if you get a chance. Yeah, definitely. Um, so a little bit of the backstory. At age 13, my mother gives me away to strangers and I moved to uh, North Carolina, a little county there. And when I go into high school, um, I, I don't really understand much in terms of education my previous experiences was to really um, just go to school to eat and to sleep and to be safe. So I was passed along, you know, and, and then I get to high school and I'm sitting there and I don't understand much of what's going on. I just um, I understood that concept of really people don't know uh, what you don't know if you don't open your mouth and let them. So I just kind of mastered the art of kind of sitting around and watching and not really speaking. The family that took me in... Um, really worked with me through counseling and different um, tutors and stuff to get me caught up. And ultimately, ultimately, my goal was to go into the military and to go back home and take care of my mother and brothers that I left behind. Um, and so at the time, the Iraq war was starting up and my I call them my foster family. Um, they're like, we don't want you to go into war. So we want you to go to college. And I'm like, I'm not smart enough to go to college. And they're like, you are, we'll work with you. And if you go to college, you can become an officer and make more money to take care of your family. And I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> so right. they, they had a biological son who um, was on a baseball team. His coach was a VMI alum. And ultimately, um, through working with him, um, I was able to get into VMI. Um, I had no idea what VMI was at the time. Um, so I go and um, it's a great place to be from, but a horrible place to be at. <laughs> uh, What's the old line? Is that they can't kill you and they can't send you back to the rat line? Is that, that that's about it. <laughs> that's, that's it. So I get there and I already start seeing how my my steps in life have been prepared. Um, I see people, you know, breaking down because they're being yelled at. And I'm like, that's all they, they're doing is yelling. Um, and so I just start working through. Um, the process of becoming a cadet, you know, one of the things they teach you very early on, a cadet will not lie, cheat, steal, nor tolerate anyone that does. And so that has stuck with me in terms of integrity. And um, my rat year, if it wasn't bad enough, I ultimately would come out as gay. Um, and I did that because, you know, when you talk about not lying, um, I, I took that seriously. And ultimately, um I would tell one of my brother rats and said the magic words, don't tell anybody. And uh, by the next day, the entire core knew. And so I spent that first year at VMI in isolation and I had to figure out who I was as a person, learn to love and respect myself. Uh, my foster family disowned me, my biological family um, disowned me. So when you talk about rejection, uh, that year was just full of that. And so I worked through it. I learned that if somebody doesn't like you um, or they're saying mean things to you, that you have to look beyond that and focus on the bigger goal. And so when it came to field training exercises, I had to be at the top of the class. And so people who didn't like me had to depend on me because I was getting the high marks. And so I worked through that. I studied. I struggled academically um, and. Um, but the school worked with me on that and I was just honest about my issues and, you know, I had some challenges, um, but I worked through it. And so I, you know, would ultimately, um, be successful, a lot of life, life lessons, um, learning how to live in my truth, be transparent. Um, and that's kind of the VMI story there. Yeah, that's so. So going from there, and then of course transitioning into law enforcement, right? Mm -hmm. So you eventually end up in Fredericksburg, right? I do. Yeah, and you're 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 kind of like you know just middling jobs, retail, whatever the mm -hmm. case may be, and then all of a sudden, you know, law enforcement becomes a possibility. Talk to me about yeah. that a little bit. Yeah, representation matters, um, and 
you know, I never thought about going into law enforcement. Growing up in poverty, growing up in uh, what some would term as the ghetto, um, we were taught to handle issues in your home. You don't call the police. Um, what happens in the house stays in the house, those types of things. And so coming to Fredericksburg, being in retail, separating out of the military, um, I never imagined going into law enforcement. It wasn't even on my radar. My uh, wallet gets stolen out of my vehicle. Uh, Fredericksburg officer responds, who happens to be lesbian. And we start talking about my military career and, um, you know, just some of the issues with the don't ask, don't tell policy. And uh, she she said, have you ever thought about law enforcement? And we have a banter back and forth about that. And um, I said, you know what, maybe I'll apply and see where it goes. And so I applied with state police, uh, Spotsylvania, Fredericksburg and Stafford. And ultimately, Sheriff Jet, then the sheriff, um, uh, took me on. And uh, I haven't looked back since. And I told him when he hired me, I said, if you give me an, an opportunity, sir, um, I'll stay here. And, and I'll work because um, the fear was at the time you're coming on. You're just going to be here for a little bit of time and you're going to go on to federal. Right. And right. I said, that's not going to be the case. And it's been an amazing experience. I went into the academy being afraid still of law enforcement. I was comfortable with my class and the people that I had a relationship with. Um, I had a couple of negative experiences with law enforcement in the area. So some that, you know, helped my biases to be confirmed. Um, and, uh, so at any rate, um, I've used all of those experiences to help navigate some of the issues that we faced over the last years with law enforcement. Right. So uh, go ahead. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. So, I mean, that, that's an amazing story, Deontay. And I think what's I find so interesting is that, you know, um, we have two candidates running for this board seat who are both public servants. So obviously you were doing it uh, via the sheriff's office, via law enforcement, which is it's just a demanding, stressful job. There's just no two ways around that. And yet, uh, Tom, you know, you're a public servant of longstanding uh, as, a, as a teacher. And there is nothing easy about teaching, um, period. And teaching in public schools is a bit of a challenge, too. I'm wondering uh, if you could talk a little bit about how your experiences as public servants as a teacher sort of shaped who you are and how you view service. Well, and when I was growing up, and this is way back in the old, old days, uh, my parents got divorced, and that was abnormal back when someone, they got divorced was I in fifth grade. And so um, the main role model in my household was gone, and my brother was not a uh, type of role model that I would want. So the one that was were teachers. And so when as I was going further and further through school, my attitude was I want to go and become a teacher because then I can be a role model for other people and um, demonstrate the, the character, the, the things that you should be showing that people need to, to follow through on. Um, and not just the material that you have to teach them, but also that, you know, that there's – you. You'd be honest with your students. If you make a mistake, you admit it. Um, it's not the end of the world. Um, then dealing with bullying and whatnot, because I was bullied as a kid, so I've been very sensitive to that long before it was the in thing to do, you know, that they were pushing in the school systems. Um, and tolerance of other religions and such. A lot of the things that I had been doing for years, the rest of society is catching up for um, with uh, different ethnicities and different religious groups. So, um, and it's just, to me, that's a big part of it is that you, you don't know where people are coming from uh, and you need to build that rapport with somebody. Uh, and then you, then you can go from there. And then oftentimes, I mean, I, there was a time when, one of the students that I had, his stepfather would not go to lacrosse games, would not even hold his hand when they were on senior night, when they were walking across the field. Um, so I was going to every lacrosse game to be there. And at the end of her game, he would hug me and be you know, like, I was a pseudo parent for him um, because that's what you end up needing to be nowadays. Um, because it's not just the reading, writing, the arithmetic. We have to do the other stuff as well. And um, I think that's important. I, I went Monday night. I went to the um, attorney general had a thing on human trafficking. And he had a dinner Monday night. And I went to it. And it was really heart-wrenching, the stories about people. And a lot of them being taken in middle school or high school. 
uh, in our country to get into human trafficking. So I went the next day to my classes and said, okay, if you're ever feeling that you're not valued or that somebody doesn't like you or, you know, you don't have friends, I said, number one, I would be honored if you were, I were your parent and you were my child. And number two, I would take a bullet to protect you. And so if you're ever feeling insecure or nervous or whatever, you know, think about the little guy standing up in the front of the room. And I told them, I go down the hallway and I say nice things to people I don't even know, because that may be the only nice positive thing they get the entire day. Um, and, and students were like, yeah, you're awfully nice to the custodians. I'm like, yeah, they're people. They, they do good work. You, you show that. Um, and you just have to treat people with dignity and respect. Um, and you do that to your students as well. And I've been blessed. Uh, last year when my mom was dying, my students were such a, a, a blessing to me that they made life a lot better. So, yeah. So, so this is interesting. We got two people who've kind of found like vocations in their field, right? Um, what do you think, Tom, we'll start with you on this one because that would be really interested in terms of like, what does it make it like really unique? To be a successful member of your field as, as an educator, right? And then we'll, we'll do the same with like like law enforcement. But like, the, the, don't worry, being a surrogate parent or just showing that you just give a damn about people. I mean, that that's something that people kind of miss nowadays. And uh, is that really kind of, kind of the secret for you? Is that this is what kind of you know, at least in your version of approaching it, sets you somewhat apart? Or what really, if you could just take that and give it to another educator, that's what you'd give. Uh, a, it's respect that everybody wants to be respected. And so that is that if you show them respect, they will ultimately show respect back to you. Um, and the peer pressure of if you are showing this, the students respect and then they're disrespectful to you, the others will say, like, that's not the way you do it. Um, so that's a large key element of it. Um, and being in listening. Um, one of the things that being my height, which is pretty short, I can walk down the hallway and hear conversations and nobody notices me. And so, um, and is, is that really a thing? Yes, it is. Oh. It's really great. Um, <laughs> because then you can, you hear if they're having trouble in a class or if they're all having a test or they're all having something. And then when you go to class, you can sit there and say, okay, I'm moving my thing to make your life easier. Um, and I'm lucky with teaching government that I have a lot more flexibility uh, because there's no way SOL in the class. And I served on a state commission where I, every year somebody was trying to push uh, an SOL, and every year I stopped it because I'm like, no, this we need to take some pressure off of them. Um, and so you can move things around and be flexible and understand that they are people. Um, some of them have massive jobs. Some of them are working really late hours. Some of them are the breadwinners for their family. Um, when they had the, the shift where the kids were coming in later, um, they, they were the babysitters. So now these families had to pay for babysitters where they didn't have before and they don't have disposable income to do that. Um, so a lot of it is just keeping your ears open. I bring food, uh, to my classroom and, um, and if they are hungry in the morning, they know it's there, but there's some students who come in and say, I don't have any lunch money. Do you have anything for me? And I smuggle them food. Um, and that is just understanding the human need of things. Um, and lastly, this is something I got from George Herbert Walker Bush was he wrote handwritten letters to people. So I write handwritten letters to my seniors. Um, and if I run out of time, I'll do some on the computer, but um, I personalize it. And I'll get emails or Facebook messages or, or I'll be at the supermarket and somebody say, I, I, I was having a really bad day and I came upon your letter and it just made me feel like I could do something. Um, and that, that I think is a key part of our job is touching them to know that they're, they're wanted and they're people, not that there's just, you know, somebody just get them through the class and move on. Right. Wow. That's, that's pretty powerful stuff. Deontay, obviously you come at it from a different, different angle. You're coming at it from law enforcement where obviously that's been a thing in the news. Certainly it's been, you know, it's Fredericksburg's had a certain tur turmoil there. You've had to engage with that in a really direct way. Um, if there was something that you could kind of say, like, this is really, if you just take a certain part of your brain power and put it into somebody else, like, this is the quality we need to, to improve law enforcement or the relationship with the community. What would you, what do you really give in terms of like a vocational kind of thing? 
Yeah. And so my role in law enforcement is also it's it, it's multidimensional and such that I'm in the schools as well. Yeah. So but the, the main thing and I wrote it down as you asked the question um, earlier is unconditional love. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that is missing not only in this community, but across the nation. And so as a law enforcement officer, my job is not to judge you. Um, it's to protect and to serve. And uh, so, you know, when I'm instructing courses on cultural diversity, fair and impartial policing and those things, and I get to do that at the academy and at various agencies throughout the state, um, I start with that. Right. It's a heart of service. And, you know, being in law enforcement, it's all really I take it to the personal all the time um, because I have a brother that was into drugs and into gangs. And so how would I want a law enforcement officer to deal with him, you know. So when I'm out there dealing with someone's loved ones, I I, I think about those things, and um, you know, I I also personalize it in that when I was a kid and going through the sexual abuse, the physical abuse, the mental health abuse, and just all of those things, I wanted somebody there to protect me, and so now I have that authority and that power to do that. And so when I'm on different scenes and one of the things that's hard and, and teachers go through this as well is you, you kind of have to be everything to everybody. You don't know what's going to come at you. Yesterday I had a pursuit. I was in that. Today we had a funeral for one of my coworkers who lost their infant, had a neighbor who committed suicide today. But then I had to deal with someone on a traffic stop who was their whole world was melting down. And so I had to shift. Right. I had to shift how I dealt with that person, because I don't know, it may be their first time dealing with a law enforcement officer and they don't know all of the stuff that's going on in the background. And so I I try to lead with love and then be that person that I didn't have as a kid. And that's what I try to spread throughout our department and other agencies when I go to go to training. Um, be that person that you wanted, either when you were being bullied as a child or um, what you were missing in your home. So I'm go ahead. Tom. And just to tag on, I started doing ride-alongs with the sheriff's department about 20 years ago, um, and it has been wonderful seeing first with Sheriff Jet and then Sheriff Decatur the culture. Um, of the deputies. Uh, and it, it's it, quite honestly, it's not because I'm sitting in the car. I mean, it's, it's in them. Um, and one after George Floyd was killed, um, we had several sessions and I went to two or three out of the four. And it was just remarkable that people would say, we don't want to do X. And our deputy said, well, we stopped that a decade ago. Or we don't believe in doing why. And our deputy said, well, that was top 20 years ago. Um, and then our people, and Deontay's one of them, go to other communities to train them to do that. And I make a point of telling the students stories of what I've seen. Um, and then they understand that our, our law enforcement is actually there for them, not to get them. And, th- and that took a really strong effort by Jet and by Decatur and their, their people. It's just really remarkable. I'm really curious about, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot on this podcast is the lack of civil discourse, uh, how we begin to bridge the gap. Sean and I, since we started on this venture together, um, you know, way back in January, I guess it was when we started this venture. Um, you know, one of the things that he and I have both faced is, uh, Sean will have, uh, his friends in the Republican party call him and like, how can you talk to that stinking liberal? <laughs> and, you know, I've got my liberal friends who will call me and how can you talk to that lying Republican? You know, they're all this and they're all that. And, you know, and I think both our responses pretty much is along the lines of, you know, if you take five minutes and shut down the noise and just listen and quit trying to convince everyone you're right. It makes such a difference. It, it, to me, and I talked about this at the very start, right? That I was really impressed with the level of civility, um, at, at the, at, at the, uh, session that I was on that Thursday night. And, you know, and one of the things that, that struck me right away, there was, I, I was given a bunch of cards, like 20 some odd cards that I was sort of shifting through to ask them from, from the audience. And one of the questions was, uh, have either of you taken any money whatsoever from the GOP? Now, you know, 
Deontay, I didn't know you. Tom, you and I have had some conversations when I was at the French. So I knew you a little, right? Um, and I didn't know, I didn't know the background to this, right? So I, I just innocently kind of asked this question and Deontay picks up and he says, well, that one's clearly aimed at me. And I'm like, well, I stepped into a hornet's nest and didn't even know it. But what I love was the way you handled that. And, and the, you didn't just answer the question, but you diffused it. You know, um, and then Tom, you came right back on that very same question. And even though you didn't get the, uh, GOP endorsement, you, you were not bashful at all about saying that you had sought after it, that you'd gone after it. And, um, and that what you two are trying to do sort of transcends these political boundaries. I, I find that so encouraging. I'm curious where in both of your souls that has sort of where you've found the strength to do that. Because I know that Sean and I, it's, it, there are not a lot of people who are doing it. So I'm, I'm encouraged we have two public servants who are seeking public office who understand that. Where yeah. did that come from in you? I think the first thing for me is um, I've never been the type that um, could be forced into like uh, a a corner, right? My, my thing is people everywhere. I don't care what your race is or what your beliefs are. I just have a, a love for people. And the same thing for, for Mr. Cohen here. Um, and I've said this from the very beginning. He is in the seat. I respect him. He's also a teacher. And he said earlier, you know, um, I realized that I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for teachers who took that extra step and, and gave me opportunities. Even at VMI, I had professors that stayed late to help me. So I never forget who's poured into me. And win, lose, or draw, at the end of the day, everything that I do um, is about legacy. And it also sets an example for um, the youth that are watching us and how we talk to one another, how we engage. And so... Um, I don't hate him. This isn't a campaign of, of retaliation or any of that type of stuff. And so, um, and, and, and how I respond to whatever is done says more about my character and who I am as a person than it does the other. And so, um, you know, it's a, we're, we're in a race against each other, but I have respect for him and I care about him. And, you know, if he, ever needed anything, I would be there for them. And so that's just how I, I lead, um, practice what you preach. And the same mindset. I mean, I've seen him in action before now and when as a deputy and I have a lot of respect for the people who put themselves on the line like that. And um, it's just being from Massachusetts, I learned that and being sort of conservative-ish, Conservative, um, from from Massachusetts. From Massachusetts, <laughs> um, you know, my mother. Uh, Two words to, for you, Sean yeah. Mitt Romney. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, Andy Card. Uh, so my mother would say she, you know, people always were remarked how she raised a Republican in Massachusetts, and but it is it's a Massachusetts Republican. It's not the same as you know. It's okay, you Alabama. got here as fast as you could. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, the um, but you you learn to just shut up and listen to people. And then you find commonality. And I've, that's sort of what I believe in is you just sit and listen. And with many members of the board, if you listen to them, there'll be commonality of where you can get together and, and agree on something. There, there are partisans, um, <clears throat> which is unfortunate. Um, that because they look everything through that lens. And that's what I think is, and I mentioned this the other night, is that's what's really been harmful to the dialogue. Because they, they can't get past the acrimony of you're not one of us. So therefore we don't want to have anything to do with you. Uh, and that's not the way the most, the people care. It's not what the real people out in the streets are thinking about. They, if, if they want more schools to be built because there's too many students in the building, if they, they have to have taxes raised, they understand that. Um, and then, and just to sit there and say, well, I'll never do such and such. I mean, when I ran X number of years ago, there was somebody who was a, um, of a part of the Republican party who called my opponent a, a socialist. And he said, would I promise never to raise taxes? And I said, well, I can't do that. If there was a hurricane and we, we needed to raise taxes to fix electricity grids, I'm not going to say I'll never raise a, t a fee. 
And do you think like, Republicans have kind of figured that one out? Because it used to be the standard. I know who you're yes. talking about too. It's like it used to be the standard was like like the taxpayer protection pledge. If you signed that, you got the endorsement. If you didn't sign it, you were a Democrat. Get out of here, you godless communist. Like it's, we've sort of figured that out to a point where like the standard of being conservative now is not so much no new taxes; it's pay your bills. I mean, do you think we're figuring that out at the local level, or is it still? A work in progress. Um, I think some of us have realized that, and some of it's a work in progress. Okay, uh, that's a we diplomatic had a, answer. <laughs> la- yeah, yeah, I try. Um, last night we had the CIP meeting for the school system, and so I went to that and it, to hear people. And one of the comments was was that we went through in so many years where somebody wanted to run for a higher office, so they cut the tax rate by a penny or a half a penny, so that they could say, "I've cut taxes every year." And what ended up happening was we didn't invest in these buildings. And so now of them, Brookpoint is now hitting the 30-year mark. And the life cycle for all their equipment and maintenance is 30, 25 to 30 years. So now you have this big hit as well as needing new buildings. Yeah, and then your taxes go up right. for that one-time thing, and it, it, then it stays in the budget, and you never cut the taxes back down again. Right, yeah. and so th- there's, th- there is that problem with that thing. But I think there's – and that's what you asked about Stafford at the beginning – there's sort of this dichotomy in Stafford um, where some of it is shifting to be we need more services, we need more taxes, we need more of this. And there's still the chunks that say, no, don't do anything, don't raise anything. Um, there's In our district, we have really great people who, when I walked around talking about taxes and their budget, uh, said, I trust you. And, you know, if you need to raise it for a specific reason, I'm okay with that. But don't just say I'm just doing it. And so the, I think the people are far more sensible than a lot of times the people get. And the parties. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so let, let me ask this question. We'll, we'll ask it to both of you real quick. Um, Stafford's tax rate right now, the real estate property tax is pretty much one of the few means Virginia localities have to find it's a 19th century system with 20, 20th century operations. And we expect a 21st century product. Why we do that, I don't know, but, um, what should the tax rate be and what should it pay for for the next four years? What are we seeing on the horizon? Um, well, because of doing the um, one using COVID money, one-time funds for pay raises, we're looking at probably out the gate a 14 cent tax increase. That's with taking uh, reassessment into the picture. Um, because the, and this is why I worked with Meg Bomke and Sheriff Decatur and our county administration last year to try to find out how to do the pay raises without using COVID money. Because it's not fiscally sound to use one-time funds because the next year you have to find the money for that money and for a raise. Um, so it, it's going to be very problematic, uh, that way. Um, because there's no COVID money that we can rely on. And so that's going to be a great interest issue because some of the candidates are running around, not, not you, not, not this, is, <laughs> this, this is not an ad hominem attack. Right. Um, some candidates, other, don't some candidates, them. but yeah, not the guy I'm sitting across. Corey, get ready with that off switch. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> have, have said they're not going to raise taxes. Well, then you're going to have to cut the money out of the schools to right. pay for that pay raise mm-hmm. or exactly what I kept saying from the dais which was we're going to give you a tax, a pay increase this year, and then next year we won't fund it. And so that, to me, that was disingenuous and dishonest. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, the people who are really the partisans attacked me as saying I was against doing the pay raise, but I kept saying it's wrong to say you were going to give you money and then next year you don't get anything. Right, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely heard a spirited debate on that, on whether they're going to have to raise the taxes or not raise the taxes. And if it's paid for with the meals tax versus not being paid for with the meals tax. Um, uh, when I when I look at this issue, what I've told people is that um, schools are a priority and that is that that's my priority. And so if whatever it takes to make sure that our children who we all like to say are our future have the the schools and the the educators um necessary for them to be our future um and so i i am in the category of whatever it takes now it also has to be balanced right we have the you have to run the county as well and so it, 
there's extremes on both sides. If you don't give a hundred percent of what's asked for, then you hate the schools and you, you know, and so my hope is that I can cut through the noise. Um, and, and people know, I, I say what I mean, mean what I say. Um, and my history has been as such in the community, in the schools with the youth. And so that's my focus. You also have to, as, as I said in the debate, when I think about this issue with taxes and things of that nature, um, the very foundation of any community is your first responders. Uh, when I pick up the phone and I call, you know, my, my adopted mother, her, her, uh, kitchen, we were having a conversation in the living room and she forgot she put something on the stove and the kitchen was on fire. And so she picked up the phone and dialed 911 and I was happy that Falmouth responded to our house, even though she lives here in the city, mm-hmm. they got there first. And, um, so the foundation of a community is your, is your first responders. Everyone needs to be safe. You want to pick up the phone and call and then they respond. And then the next big thing that's important is, is our schools. And, uh, so I like that they're doing a CIP. Um, they're giving you that five year vision, um, what we need to get done. I even like last year during the budget season, um, the superintendent said, well, if you don't do this, this is what we have to cut out. This is what we're going to have to shift. And this is what that looks like. And so one of the things that I would hope when we're talking about budget um, and, and how I see this from the outsider looking in is the 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 county, um, the board of supervisors does their budget. Then the school board does their budget. And then you try to figure out how it's all going to work together. And I don't understand why they can't just do all of that in the beginning. Oh, there's a really good reason, as a matter of fact. The Commonwealth of Virginia sets its budget after localities set their budget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so, and it's one of those arcane things that goes back to the 1930s. So what really the school mm-hmm. board is doing is they're shooting in the dark, estimating it. And then they go back yeah. to the board of supervisors and they hear, here's our estimate. And that estimate's based on three different numbers. What they think their student population is, what the Commonwealth of Virginia says their student population is, and then what the Department of Education says that those numbers are. And that all feeds into school funding for a, an arcane science called the local composite index, which Stafford is on the wrong side of because it's a high growth locality and rural localities are on the better side of it because they just don't have as much economic heft. And so the Commonwealth says, well, we'll put in more money for rural localities, but for localities like Stafford, you get less. But based on what those numbers are, then it all goes into that formula. And then you have a budget that hasn't been determined by Richmond and sometimes isn't determined until March, (laughs) April, May, September. June, <laughs> September, right? And so, and then you've got Jay Lark saying that, you know, schools are underfunded by about $3 billion. You think no. the Commonwealth of Virginia is stepping up for that? Absolutely not. So localities have to make up all the bad. Tom's an expert on this yeah. one. I'm not, yeah. yeah. So, so, but, but that's the reason why nobody gets along at the beginning because Richmond sets the rules and they sent the funding structure. 87% of what you do is already set by Richmond. And most people never see behind the curtain and understand that. It's not because the school board wants to fight with the board of supervisors or the city council it's because richmond's just set it up that way so that they don't have to take the responsibility for raising taxes they've put it on the localities and same goes for for you know law enforcement funding first responders and a whole lot of other stuff that i mean it's it's arcane and it makes no sense but once you figure it out then it makes total sense tom i mean am well, i about closer no, on that and you're right and yeah. and, and i've been trying all week because there's now this new deal to get more money for education. Um, but the way it works is there's only certain teaching positions that will get that money. Exactly. Other ones won't. And, and so, for example, and I'm, um, I mean, social studies may get the money, but foreign language doesn't. And so usually, um, when we get our money from the state, we have to, the, we, the local government kick in more to make it equal. Um, and so we've been waiting to see what this is coming out of the governor's yeah. and office. And then you get to the end of the year and the school board yeah. folks over millions of dollars in cost overruns and says, here they are. And conservatives jump up and down <laughs> saying that's an entire month of operation. Why are you forking it over now? And the reason is because they don't know what the budget is because they don't know what Richmond does. So it's not that the schools are overfunded by millions of dollars. Which is an argument that I've heard in the past. Yeah, it's just people don't understand how uh-huh. Richmond funds public education. 
And that's that's and the same is true for deputies yep. with like yes. it used to be four for like three for life, and then it turns into four for life. Um, you can add people on at the board of supervisors level and say we get that, but the money from the Commonwealth only lasts two or three years. Mm-hmm. Once that runs out, you're now required to fund that 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 deputy at that level for the next. I think it's like five years. Five years, yeah. Yes. So. It's, it, but it's Richmond, right? All the things you talk about and like how we fight over local issues. Now it's, it's, it's set up on a higher level. Yeah. It's Rich. Richmond, man. Yeah. yeah. So Which, how do we get better with, with the education piece, right? Because these are things that if you're sitting at the table talking to people and it's not readily available. And so people get frustrated. And, and so that's one of the things that I think I was talking about in terms of communication, putting out information, um, because then maybe they can, as, as, as a constituency, turn from blaming the board or the school board and say, hey, Richmond, what do we do to fix this? Well, what we did, I'm sorry. I'm going to let you talk, but I just want to say one thing real quick. So actually, you know, Deontay, that was the point of my article this morning in the advance, mm-hmm. right? Which is the reason we can't have these discussions is because of the dark money that's pouring into these campaigns and framing these things in a way that makes it impossible for people to talk about them. But sorry, I, sorry, well, no, Tom, I cut you off. No, that's okay. I mean, what we, what was great was last year, the school system said, and, and Dr. Taylor's magnificent, but the school system said, give us a blank check of X amount. And several of us said, nah, don't feel comfortable with that. Tell us where it is. So this year they came back with specific amounts. Um, and they told us early on that, you know, you had to be at 94 cents or else we lose $8 million from the state. And so that's why I kept harping on 94, 94, 94 was because of those two lovely things. And then I remember that the way our, our archaic system is, is that when you set the tax rate to start in July, it actually really backdates to January. And so when every penny in the tax rate was 2.23 million, um, but you also got an extra roughly 1 million for per penny that you raised the taxes for to going back to January. And nobody was saying that. And I said, well, wait a minute, we have this, how much money? And it ended up being around eight to $10 million. And I was like, okay, well then great. Then we could take things out of the budget and use one time that as funds for some of the fire rescue equipment that we had to buy. And that frees up the money for the raises or for new positions. Um, and that's, that's sort of how we deal with that. But nobody was yelling and screaming about that until yeah. I said, Hey, wait. but to Deontay, to your point though, a lot of it's on culture, right? I mean, yes. if, if the school board doesn't trust the board or if the superintendent doesn't trust the county administrator or there's a majority on one on either body, it's like, we can't talk to these or you're not talking to your sheriff's deputies mm-hmm. and you're fine. I mean, everything shatters really quickly. Right. And so it's like to your point and, and some of the things you've kind of been talking about in terms of culture, like that's super important in any locality. Right. And then not just that, but then like to Marty's additional point, like how you talk about it in the press, if, if you set it up, if it's like schools versus fascist, well, then, yeah, that, that, <laughs> that, that's it. That ends yeah. the conversation. Yeah. If it's America versus, you know, like, like, you know, I, I don't know, the communists or, you know, like Fabians or whatever, it, it completely shatters the argument. Right. Because now nobody trusts anybody in mm-hmm. that. And that's that's really difficult for local elected officials because, oh, yeah. I mean, you, you, we're, we're stones throw from Washington, D.C. Richmond's messing everything up. Everybody's catching grenades. Nobody's happy. And yet you've got to try to find the happy warriors in the room willing to go ahead and take it on. So so I, I don't want to divert too much because I love education. We got two. We got two educators sitting here. Actually, three. Uh, Sean, I'll give you a I'll give you a nod. Thank well, you. And he teaches. About and I was going to say we should call it four because Deontay four educators. Deontay, it's four four educators around this table here. So. Um, and so obviously I could talk about education all day. I've been writing about it for 25 years and I still haven't written enough, still haven't run enough things to write about. Uh, but I do want to press forward just a little bit. Uh, you know, as, as the clock keeps ticking, uh, there are other issues in Stafford County that need to be dealt with. And I know that there are some differences between you on what those are. And I wonder if y'all would like to, I, I'm not going to frame you into telling, asking you what you should talk about, but I would like to hear. Deontay, you know, Tom, fight, fight for us. <laughs> fight, 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 fight. <laughs> But there has there has to be a reason why you. I mean, I right. mean, obviously you have reasons why you're running for this office, right. and what's at heart. What do you want to accomplish in the four years you're on the board? I think that maybe that's a better way of framing it. There you go. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, Deontay, we'll start with you. You've got four years on the board of supervisors. What's the one thing you're known for? The very first thing is you got to get everybody working as a team. You can't accomplish anything if you're not working as a team. You end up with four people that run as a pack and tell that 
you know, busts up and then you're back to the squabbling back and forth. And so, you know, sitting out watching the the meetings and, and the back and forth, I often feel like, you know, the, the main issues are getting lost in, in the, in the votes sometimes. Are you voting because it's really not a good thing or are you voting because you're mad at someone? Um, you know, those types of things. And so a lot of things that I'm talking about, I'm not speaking as a politician. I'm just speaking as someone who's uh, in the community watching it and, and I, I don't like it. So that's the, that's number one teamwork. Um, you know, how do you present yourself? Decorum. You know, those types of things, they, they really matter. I, I listen to people throughout the community, talk, you know, after a board meeting, like, I can't believe this person said that or this person said this, um, that that matters. So then when you the next thing is when we talk about revenue um, for me is getting businesses to come to Stafford. Now, it's not easy to do. Um, you know, we talk about the number of homes or rooftops, so to speak, um, but uh, we, we've got to have more revenue coming in. I know we're looking at database, um, data centers right now and things of that nature. Um, but again, things for youth to do engagement. Um, a lot of times when our schools, um, have events, they come to Fredericksburg. They got to go to the expo center or the silk mill. So, you know, the money's going out of the county. Um, so the, the next four years, um, and I'm not disillusioned or, you know, I, I understand th- how things work on the ground, um, but it's it's showing a united front as a team. And even if we have disagreements, let's keep that in the back room. But when we're out there, you know, we're one team. Um, and I've noticed that the school board has started doing that as I watch the school board closer. Um, and so uh, that that's, that's my concerns. Um, and then we, you know, again, first responders, making sure that they're taken care of. One of the things that frustrates me um, with watching this from the outside in is there's a conversation about, you know, well, this is what Spotsylvania is doing for, with their benefits, whether it be for teachers or first responders. Uh, this is what Prince William is doing. This is what... For, can we look at what we can do and what's going to draw in the best talent um, to move the needle just a little bit um, and, and constantly have that conversation, you know, uh, coming up through the ranks. I, I used to listen and, you know, people are fighting for just the basic stuff. And I heard parents throwing the budget like, why do we have to take off time to come down here to tell you how much we want to support this? And, you know, we put you in the spot to or in the seat to make these decisions and I'm like, OK, you know, some of that makes sense to me. Um, and so. The next four years, I'll go back on that again, is teamwork, decorum, then working on that revenue source so we can support our first responders in our schools. Got it. Yeah. Tom, what are you doing over the next four years? Um, hopefully, I'll be doing work on the board. But, uh, <laughs> well, so, uh, assuming things go to plan, right? Um, the Tom Cohen that, era becomes a reality. Really? And, and um, we're, what, are we, what are we doing over the well, next Well, I mean, I like to build on the stuff that we did. I mean, five years ago, I did a tour, found looked at the parcel of land and said, I think that'd be a great for data, data center. And so I started doing the research as to what we could do and looking into that so that, um, we were a little bit more prepared to deal with that than some of the other communities because I started pushing on that. Same with, uh, on the health issue, PFOS. Um, listening to my students talk about it. And then I went on a tour of the water treatment facility and asked them about it and said, well, we're really trying to do that. We could use some help on the board. And I said, okay, you've got it. Um, and now we are apparently setting the tone for the EPA when they do stuff in other communities. Um, Tom, for those who don't know, no. could you please explain yes. PFAS? Uh, the, one of my partners, yeah. uh, Jim Spencer at the Charlottesville uh, newspaper before he was let go the same day <laughs> I was, uh, wrote a lot wrote a lot about PFAS. It's a, it's a really deadly issue that people don't know that much about. Right, and, and, and the plastic things are plastic wrap, plastic uh, items, plastic cups, whatever, is um, a chemical that when it breaks down, it gets works its way into the water system. Um, and it can go into wells, it can go into our streams, and then it, it builds up and it can be cancerous and cause other problems. And so um, the EPA has been sort of slow in figuring out 
almost like with the Chesapeake Bay Act. It says it's going to do it, but it gets slow to do it. Um, but, but our people were working on that of how to do it. And I guess if you, you, and I'm not a science teacher, so, um, you electrify the water, the PFAS will congeal and it's easier to get it out of the water and then you oh, can treat cool. it better. Okay. Um, so that we're, st- when we're doing our water treatment upgrades, we're doing that automatically, uh, to address that. So I think there's, there's certain businesses we need to do to expand the tax break. Uh, and we've been doing that. I think with the first responders, first year on the board, we voted for the, to adjust and correct the pay scale for the first responders. And then we did it again. I think the firefighters, there, we need to look to, at the 2472 schedule, um, to help them because they, they're going on a day off a day. And it's, I mean, the little bit that I've done, I haven't been able to sleep. Um, and to actually do it as a career is really hard. I think our education and our CIP is important. Um, and that goes back to our first responders. I mean, I pushed for taking the fire items out of the CIP so we could move schools and build them faster and then have a separate uh, fire tax to pay for the new fire stations. And again, people are okay with that because they're like, you're going to do a, a tax for a limited time to build these fire stations. And it makes sense. They know what you're getting for. Um, and I, I'm going to want to continue preserving our rural character. Um, the PBR program that we did has saved thousands of acres and almost every farmer who did this program where they get paid for not selling their land for homes, uh, turned, has bought, turned around and bought other farmland. And so it's actually bought, saved more than just the hundred acres that we bought from them. Those, those, the, um, development rights. Then they turn around and buy it, another farmland. And then later on, we'll try to apply for that. So it, it's a great system to voluntarily save rural land, which many people, when they move here, say they love our rural character. Um, so those are the things that I think we need to be focusing on and trying to do for the future. Um, it's- sure. I mean, good news in the, the George Washington district, folks. I mean, you're going to be well served however this goes. This has been really cool. I've like, <laughs> yeah, this is, um, I, you know, like I told, like I told you at the beginning, you know, I, I was really impressed Thursday night at, uh, you know, the way it was put together, the way these two gentlemen engaged with one another. Uh, I won't lie. You got your barbs in from time to time. You know, uh, you know, it wouldn't be a political debate if you didn't get the occasional barb in and that's okay. Uh, that's, that's part of it. Um, but, um, you know, I'm really impressed both with the fact that one, you're both civil servants. Uh, I, you know, I think our government will be better served if more people who came from that civil service, civil service route found their way into these positions because you know what these people on the ground are going through. You know how tough it is to make a living and afford a home in a place like Stafford on a deputy salary or a teacher salary. Uh, it's not easy. And so, so you, you have an understanding of that. Um, now, we do I play a little game here uh, at the New Dominion podcast at, at the end um, where we save the nastiest questions for the last. And so all this, Always. all this, uh, all this love talk we've had early on is going out <laughs> the window, guys. We're going to lay it to you. Um, and uh, I'm going to start. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Deontay. Um, we got to know when you're not um, when you're not uh, sitting there uh, in in schools keeping our kids safe or. Uh, keeping our roads safe uh, with traffic stops. Um, what are you reading? Oh, this is, well, the code book. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the CIP for the school. You must have talked to Corey before this show started. <laughs> no. we, we um, the latest legislation that passes for laws. No, um, shameless plug, I guess. Uh, right now, um, uh, I am going back. I'm going to be working on my second book. Right. So I, I have a book out beneath the scar. I am beneath the scar, a story of resilience. And once you've lived life and then you've written about it, um, and now to go back and read it, it, it it's still a different experience. Um, so I, um, people have been asking, when is the second book going to come out? And so I'm getting re- getting primed and prepped and, you know, getting ready to start that. And um, what's pushing that is I have a documentary that will be coming out soon about my life as well. And so a lot of different projects, a lot going on. But when it comes to reading, I'm looking at, you know, the, the CIP and the plan for the county. And that's kind of taking most of my time. If I'm not doing stuff, trying to keep up, I'm on several committees, um, one for VMI. I actually have a, a 
speech tomorrow where I'm trying to get them to understand uh, what it means to be um, culturally diverse, you know, because it's become a hot topic. So I have my hand in many different uh, fires, I guess. Um, but yeah. So this is two weeks in a row we've had an author say, they're reading, well, they're their, reading own their own books. Book. I'm really, in, man, I got to get off my butt and get my second book going so I can talk about the, me reading my own page first. <laughs> I'm reading my own Y'all, oh, yeah, y'all are making me feel bad. Page. Good grief. I feel lazy. Tom, well, uh, what about you? What you need to do is finish your book so you can make your students buy your book. Uh, there you go. <laughs> there it is right the there. The classic <laughs> academia sort of, yeah. And, and to all those students out there in college, abooks.com is a really good place to get used books. That costs very cheaply. Um, it got me through my second master's. Um, there's two books, and I can't remember the title of the one, but it's about um, the in the American Revolution, um, soldiers from Marblehead that ended up going and being part of the revolution and ended up uh, going with Washington's crossing of the Delaware and such, and they fought in almost every battle. It's really an interesting um book, and it goes into uh, Samuel Adams and John Adams and... Um, gerrymander, uh, all those, Elbridge Jerry and all that. It's really interesting. But the big one I've been getting through is by Stephen Platt. It's called Imperial Twilight, the Opium War, and the End of China's Last Golden Age. Oh, um, neat. Wow. I was reading one. I love the. I love reading about the Boxer Rebellion. I just find people, how they act in a crisis, interesting. And I got a book, and it was just so much of the stuff I already knew, and it referenced this. And I was like, I don't know anything about this. And so I, I just jumped and got this. And it's really interesting and also finding out how many Americans were part of the opium trade because we always hear it's a British thing but it was actually the Americans were involved in it too. Oh, so, interesting. So it's really an interesting book about that period of China. So I, I have to say that when I was an undergraduate history major uh, my focus was actually Chinese history which is why I'm sitting here smiling and nodding my head because the Boxer Rebellion is one of those things that I think every American student should know more about. Sean? See, I am reading St. Augustine's Confessions, um, because this is what I've been assigned for. In Latin? Yeah, in Latin. Yes. So let's, let's be specific. So I have, it's, and not just the Latin. So I've got the Loeb translation. I have the Ryan translation that I have to read as well. Um, there's the Penguin Classics translation, which apparently is the superior. It's, it's very good. Translation of, of the Confessions, but, uh, and then, uh, Ratzinger's, uh, dissertation on the Confessio and the three meanings of the term. So yeah, classes have started. I'm, I'm, Swimming deep. <laughs> it's, ah. it's good stuff, though. It really is. It's, again, you, wherever you read something like that, it's always like you get the first English translation of it. And you say, okay, that's the idea. But you get deeper and you figure out why Augustine's using certain terms or any author like that. Why they're using certain terms and how and what they would have meant in their context, in their character and whatnot. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of the fascinating part. So, Which is why Google Translate will never replace no, good translators. AI will never replace yeah, yeah, that ever, it ever, ever, happen. ever. Yep. Um, so I, uh, I'm on the other side. I'm the one. Um, I'm, I'm the one dishing out the pain. So uh-huh. uh, <laughs> I, uh, I uh, look at Tom smiling over there. I know he's doing the same thing. Um, but um, you know, one of the things that I'm, I've been rereading is is a marvelous book by Ted Sorensen uh, called Counselor. And for those who mm-hmm. don't know, Ted Sorensen was special assistant to President Kennedy. Um, it is rumored that Ted Sorensen wrote um, Profiles in Curry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had the very high honor of interviewing uh, Ted about 15 years ago. And like every other reporter who's interviewed him, I asked a question. And like every time he's gotten that question, he didn't answer it. But that's Ooh. okay. But that's okay. <laughs> that's that's perfectly fine. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm moved by the book for two reasons. And, Sean, I should share this book with you. And I, I guess from the guy who published the opera right next to me and Tom, you're a historian. I should, I should, I should share this, this portion with you. It's, he has one of the very finest sections, chapters on writing that I have ever read. Um, and so I'm rereading all of this. I'm going to assign it to my journalism class. Um, but the thing I, and if I can it, very quickly, the thing I loved about my interview with Sorensen, uh, it went on for three hours. Uh, we got the official interview over with in like an hour and a half, but then we just kept talking. And at one point he, he was talking about Berlin and I said, Oh yeah. I said, my father was in the army at that time and I had just been born and my father had told me this story about, um, being called away. And I later learned he was sitting on a fully loaded nuclear 
plane ready to go uh, with a baby at home who was a month old. And uh, Sorensen, rest his soul, um, stopped the interview, and he said, do me a favor. The next time you see your father, thank him personally from the President of the United States and from his staff. No one really, everyone talks about Cuba. No one understands how close to annihilation we came. And was it not for people like your father who laid everything down to protect this country? It could have been a very different ending. Hmm. Two weeks later, I saw my dad. I told him that. It's one of the few times. My father turns 87 this week. We're going for actually going down tomorrow to celebrate his birthday. It's one of the very few times I've ever seen my father cry. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it, that, that, that book kicks me on a lot of levels, on a lot of levels. So, listen, this has been a marvelous discussion tonight. Um, I think the people of Stafford are in a great position uh, to have two very, not just fine candidates, but fine human beings um, competing uh, for the right to, to serve the people. And these are men who understand service because they they're li- they live lives of service. And that's a marvelous thing. And so it's been a real honor, uh, Deontay and Tom, to have both of you on the show tonight. Um, and Sean, I hope we have, I hope we have more of these. I think I find it so exhilarating to get these candidates out of the, 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 the echo chamber and to really sit down and talk with them. Yeah. So democracies elect the leaders they deserve. Um, you know, democracy is alive and well in the George Washington district. There's no question. So, and hopefully we get more of these things. Cause again, it's, uh, you know, getting past the, the, you're saying the dark money and the, the screeds that you see in the slicks and all that nonsense doesn't get you any closer to who these candidates are. So finding out a little bit more about who they are, what they believe and why they believe it and what's in their character. That just makes for a better electorate and frankly makes for better conversations about the things that matter. So, and that's why we get up every week at the New Dominion podcast and, and do this. Do uh, that thing. But yep. Because we love it, because we really believe in supporting uh, two fine candidates like we have here tonight. So from everyone here at the New Dominion podcast and from Corey and Megan, who've done another great job, uh, uh on the hardware and the software and any other where I can't even begin to understand, <laughs> uh, and who actually gave up their mic tonight so we could have both candidates. Uh, it's a, it's a big sacrifice because they always contribute so much our podcast so thank you very much uh deontay tom thank you sean it's great to have you uh as a as a compadre and and a friend and uh and a co-worker um with that uh from all of us here at the new dominion podcast thank you so much have a great week and we look forward to seeing you next week <laughs>